Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a music discovery podcast where every episode I'll dive deep into the creative minds of your new favorite songwriters, band leaders, and sonic explorers who, like me, have dedicated their lives to traveling the world, telling their strange stories to anyone who'll listen. My name is Zach Lupiton. Let's go. This week on the show, I bring you another cross-country conversation I had with a big-voiced singer-songwriter out of Neptune City, New Jersey, who for the last decade and a half has been creating her own brand of funhouse mirror boardwalk soul and tastefully tight and theatrically tart rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, Nicole Atkins. Look, it's been a really weird and really warm summer. It hit 124 at a friend's house across L.A. the other day, and... We all need something to cool us down, to get us through. For me, that's been Nicole Atkins' new album, Italian Ice. With each song of this record, she takes us into a musical universe that seems to always be on the brink of chaos and explosion. A tart bite of sweetness on the one side, and total despair and rage on the other. For me, the summer of 2020 has been defined by neon bursts of creativity, new songs that are bursting from my brainstem about sultry affairs I've never had, weepy ballads about friends who have lost mothers to the scourge of time and sicknesses without cure, and then the shadow and emptiness that happens afterwards when I realize I have nowhere to perform these songs, no one to show them to. And it's when the songs stop, when the silence reigns, that the darkness comes into my mind. The calendar keeps flipping without me, telling me, oh yeah, you were supposed to be playing a festival in Vancouver this week, or in Manchester, England this week, or in Sheboygan, Wisconsin this week, and the rescheduled dates of all these bands that you love are canceled and moved again and again, and the nation that you still try to love, like an abusive father who has so much good inside his dark history, keeps capitulating into fits of righteous rage, and then protests to counter that rage, and then counter-protests to counter that rage, and you see yet another grainy cell phone video, another late body cam release of a brown-skinned man shot in the back or suffocated in a hood on the cold concrete. And in the silence, when the songs can't get me through, there are those stabs of despair and helplessness. And maybe I'm a music nerd, and maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I think an album can still define your sense of self, a sense of place, a sense of where we are in history. 
When I was in high school, it was Summer Teeth by Wilco. It came into my consciousness like a bomb, and I never wanted to go back to the person I was before. And this summer, well, if there is an album that symbolizes this seesaw time we're in, the beauty and creativity on one side, and the decay and black-eyed howl of animal pain on the other, it's gotta be Nicole Atkins' newest harmony-rich, greasy guitar-hook-drenched record, Italian Ice, which came out this spring right as the pandemic was beginning and was recorded at the historic Muscle Shoals studio in Alabama. Nicole is one of those hard diamonds of an artist that has been shining right in front of me under the ground for a decade and I just never dug deep enough to notice. Toiling in bar bands for much of her career, Atkins is finally enjoying nationwide recognition as a sought-after writer, singer, and producer, with her latest record being co-produced by Ben Tanner of the Alabama Shakes, who is also a partner in Single Lock Records with John Paul White of the Civil Wars. You may notice if you've listened to previous episodes of our show, thank you for coming back, that I'm pretty obsessed with finding singers and songwriters who refuse to be categorized, who don't exist in any part of the rock and roll Americana folk scene. Great music makes its own category. Where would you put Springsteen, David Bowie, Queen, Blondie, Madonna? Every time I see a clip of Freddie Mercury stalking across the stage with his buck teeth and his tight shirt and his big voice howling across the crowd, it's like an opera singer in a rock and roll body Without time or space, it doesn't matter. It's Freddie Mercury, and that's enough. It's hard to see greatness and to acknowledge it in its own time. In my mind, Nicole could be seen as a new, wild-eyed modern Springsteen who also mythologized the decaying beauty of New Jersey's coastal towns like Asbury Park near her hometown, or like the huge-voiced, peripatetic Linda Ronstadt who wasn't afraid to mix genres. And just on Italian ice, you could see Nicole mixing sticky French pop grooves with AM radio doo-wop, 70s blaxploitation R&B, and airy jazz rock like her heroes in the band Traffic. Much like the tart and brain-freezing treat that is sold on every boardwalk in New Jersey, Nicole Atkins' newest musical journey is a refreshing and many-flavored thing. And as she describes in her wide-ranging conversation recorded in her parents' garage in Neptune City, she has finally embraced the sharp edges of her personality as a show-stopping performer, producer, and songwriter, and isn't afraid to acknowledge that like Springsteen before her, it's up to folks like her to save rock and roll and make it new again. I know she saved a little of my soul this summer, and I think she'll do the same for you. You may be tired of hearing it, but it still rings true. Most bands that you love, artists that you love, they cannot tour and make a living right now. So donate, buy merch, get vinyl, get a t-shirt. It really helps. And I will be launching a new side project soon, so look out for that. And if you want to donate to this very podcast, znlupitan at gmail.com on PayPal. That supports me and all I'm doing on here. And guess what? We will be coming back every Wednesday now throughout the fall with new episodes. And you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Please tell your friends about us. It means a lot. That's enough from me. Here she is now, the pride of Neptune City, New Jersey, the rock and roll queen, Nicole Atkins. Do you remember how fast your heart would be?
Nicole Atkins, and I am a singer and songwriter and music producer. And you're f- calling us from your uh, your parents' place in Jersey, yeah. right? I'm calling you from my parents' garage in Neptune City, New Jersey. Where all great things have emerged in American yeah. culture. Yeah. Parents' garages. Back to where it all began with my first band, Whiplash. Was it, a, was it a punk rock band? It was a, I guess, but like it was punk rock in the way of like we were children. So we were just <laughs> all punk, punk rock by default. Yeah. I had a band in eighth grade called Labyrinth. Oh, cool. But not like the uh, crazy show with David Bowie. It was yeah. the sh- the maze game with a metal ball. See, I think I would have been in your band Labyrinth. I was really into that. We could have used um, a little bit of female intuition. There was That's a lot of sweaty, sweaty dudes up in a guy's yeah. attic in Chicago. I had a lot of uh, bands um, figure out creative ways to, to get me to quit the band because they didn't want a girl in the band. <laughs> Why? I don't know. They didn't want to be known as the band with the girl singer. You know, I, I had a band in college that um, was called Pollywog, and then they changed the band name to Teabag. And so I was like, I can't sing in a band named Teabag. And so they uh, were like, yeah, we're not changing the name. And then when we graduated college, they told me that they actually changed it because they didn't want a girl singer in the band. But they didn't want to fire me. So <laughs> that, just, that just seems wrong on many levels. Well, you know, it all worked out for me. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you started playing and, and writing songs when you were a kid, right? Around eight yeah. or nine? Yeah, I I didn't write my first serious songs till I was like 20. But um, yeah, I had a bunch. I always had bands. So like as as far back as like the TV show Gem and the Holograms was on TV. I had Nicole and the Illusions. (laughs) And then I had Whiplash. And then I was in a band with a girl throughout high school where we sang harmonies. So we were like a Simon and Garfunkel type band. And uh then I just sang and played rhythm guitar in a lot of bands in college and then started doing it on my own when I was like 20, 21. When you say you didn't write your first serious song till you were 20, yeah. what, were the, what were the songs in the years before that? Oh, gosh. It was a lot of, like, funny songs. Like, it was a, I had a song called White Trash Has a Name, It's Dion. Um, about <laughs> a girl that, like, stole my boyfriend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just could never, like write a serious song just because I was always such a silly person, you know, like, and just, you know, kind of, I never liked to take myself too seriously. And, um, but then when I graduated college, you know, nobody really lived around town and, um, singing like on the Jersey shore, you can have a job like singing in a bar or a restaurant, you know, like, so that was my job, like, since high school. Like, I was always, like, doing a Thursday night at a restaurant or a Wednesday night at an Irish pub. And um, just without, you know, a lot of friends around anymore, I was, you know, I just started writing my own songs. And there was a music club in Asbury Park that they changed from being, like, you know, whatever kind of music to only original music. And so I wanted a gig there. And he was like, do you write your own songs? And I lied to him, and I said, yeah. And he gave me a gig, and it was two weeks away, so I had to write at least, like, you know, 40 minutes of my own music. So I did. And then after that, I just kept doing it. 
you know, I was even talking to like an artist like Moby, you know, and he was like, I always wanted to be a singer songwriter. He's like, but I would DJ for fun just to like amuse my friends. And that was the only thing that they liked. They never wanted to hear one of my like rock songs. They just wanted to hear what I could do with a turntable. So you put out a record uh, in 2007, Neptune City, obviously mm-hmm. uh, maybe inspired or created around this idea of bringing the stories of your Jersey home to the world. Um, yeah. And honestly, that that title track is so epic and so weird. Yeah. I kept listening to it. Um, and it's funny because Neptune City sounds like like Atlantis, uh-huh. almost like some sort of fictional, bizarro land. Yeah, and you bring in this sort of funhouse mirror version of your hometown with these guitar riffs that are almost like in and out of tune. Yeah, that was kind of like the whole um, my first demo um, that was that ended up being Neptune City, but the demo was called the Party's Over demos. And right. it was made at um, at my parents' bar and in their garage, just me and my friend David. And um, he had a drum kit and, you know, Pro Tools with a with one of those old, like, candy-colored Macs, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, we had a tiny little Casio keyboard. And I couldn't play guitar very well. So I mean, like, I could play rhythm and I could write on it, but I would just, I would stack the vocals to be the guitar solos that I wanted to hear. So uh-huh. it like ended up sounding like a girl group just from um, necessity to fill in the, uh, you know, the melodic arrangements. And then, you know, we just kind of tried to make everything sound a little bit warped because it was already sounding warped from like the crappy gear we had. So we kind of leaned into it. <laughs> and also with Neptune City being it's right next to Asbury Park. So Neptune City is this very, you know, blue collar town that's you know, looks like it could be the 70s still. And then Asbury Park, when I was a child, um, was all, you know, fun houses and the Tunnel of Love and rides and swan boats. And then when I was maybe six, it just turned into nothing. It was right at the tail end of, like, the race riots and what they call white flight, and the whole town became abandoned. And so they it was right when I first started writing my own songs that they were tearing down the palace amusements. So it just gave me a a really good visual for, you know, writing songs about my family and change and, you know, these like, you know, um, things of merriment all in decay. You can't see me from this view All the way down Trailing the procession I'll hide out a few more days Then I'll be leaving This place soon Our hearts are singing out Just for you A cemetery song for summer
relationship with my hometown by being a visitor. Um, yeah, I think that too, like with the, you know, the ghost of Springsteen, Springsteen really was, he was uh, right in the middle of Asbury Park in its heyday and, um, and really helped define it that way. And so I grew up with it, you know, being like, it was where you went to go buy drugs or, you know, you just didn't <laughs> go there. And my, luckily my parents were really cool and they, you know, my, most of my family um, are living in Asbury Park or never left and are still there. And so I was always allowed to go to like all ages shows at the Stone Pony. And it was like hardcore, but it was something you could do as a kid, you know, if you weren't of age. And, um, and it was a show. So I went and um, I just think that, you know, there's songwriters and they have a time and place that are themselves and they can draw from, you know, the styles that happened where they live before. And Springsteen was, you know, definitely drawing from music from the 50s and 60s R&B and even, you know, sounds that were made down in Muscle Shoals. Roy Orbison is a big one. And those are all my influences too, you know, but also him and, and also, you know, I grew up with indie rock. So it's, it's like an updated boardwalk sound. You know, it, it doesn't just stop at the 70s. The boardwalk sound doesn't just end in 19, you know, 78. I am technically related to Bon Jovi through marriage, apparently. Oh, wow. Have you met him? My, I have not. My dad's cousins are the Bon Jovis. You know what? Um, that, that was a lie I used to tell when I was in fourth grade, that Bon Jovi was my cousin. <laughs> and he's really your cousin. I think he's like my second or third cousin, but you know, did your folks own a bar when you were a kid? Um, no, they, we have a bar in our house. So instead of a living room, we have a bar Uh huh. <laughs> and, uh, and most of their friends do too. But, um, we were always that in on Halloween, like my parents had a luncheonette. So my dad was an insurance man for a while. And then my mom opened a luncheonette on the boardwalk and, um, we would give out hot dogs for Halloween instead of candy and then my I would parents love your would, house. dude. Our house is like the good vibes house for sure. Um, it's the party house. They would have a bar behind the hot dogs, and the parents would come over for a cocktail and have their kids eat their dinner for for Halloween. So we were known as the hot dog house. Like full hot dogs with buns and fixins. With buns and fixins, yep. Wow. He would have a big pot of them, like three hundred dogs steamed. <laughs> Yeah. I love that you listened with your mom to the Cruising Classics album. It's the best. With the Drifters and Eddie Cochran. Yeah. I feel like you can hear that um, warped 50s, early 60s sound in your music, especially the newest record, Definitely. Italian Ice, which you did uh, you know, in Muscle Shoals. But it's like you're filtering it through uh, five layers of vodka and... <laughs> other Please. things you know? yeah it's like yeah it's like filtered through like a lot of late nights and maybe some nitrous <laughs> but I would have dreams all the time about hearing songs like the the music I just made on my my new record on Italian Ice like for maybe five years before this I'd have a dream that I'd hear that sound on the radio but it wouldn't right. be me 
but it'd be somebody else new. And I'd be like, damn it. Like, you know, somebody else is taking this sound that I like, it's so me, you know, and they did it and I didn't do it. And like, it was always like, dude, you got to just sit down and do this finally. I think that is the hardest thing about being a songwriter and then trying to harness the sounds of your dreams and trying to capture those. And it takes sometimes five, six albums to do that. And eventually maybe you get a couple songs. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, that that is one thing I'll say about, you know, to, in regards to what you just said. Um, harnessing the sounds of my dreams is actually, I feel like it's a freebie for me. Because, like, I dream, like, really vividly every night, which is, I have horrible sleeping habits. Like, I sleep really hard in the morning because I'm dreaming really hard. and But I'm able to remember everything. So I write a lot of songs in my dreams, and I wake up, and I put them down, and then it's just like, okay, I did my work for the day, you know? So I work in my sleep a lot. And um, the, I think the hardest part about actually committing to doing that sound is when you think commercially, you know, like... Okay, yeah. this record has to appeal to people or it has to appeal to a radio market or this or that. And with this record, I just kind of stopped um, caring, you know, because I, I realized I was, you know, for a couple records, maybe chasing something that I don't fully understand or love or care about. And uh, with this, I just went for it because I, you know, kept having that dream that I didn't and somebody else did. So I just didn't want to let it pass me by. There is a, um, a theatricalness to a lot of your earlier records, mm-hmm. for sure, that you're uh, kind of belting out these <laughs> emotional worlds that only you can feel. And you're like, I'm trying desperately t- to get you to feel what I'm yeah. feeling. Yeah. And the song uh, off of your slow phaser record, um, Gasoline Bride, mm-hmm. kind of threw me for a loop Um, (laughs) because it's almost like demonic possession I was thinking at the church house yeah I was thinking I I actually I wrote that in New York in like one go I went to one of those like um, like kind of it's like a European spa type place that has like a hot tub and a steam room like a a Russian bath type place and the whole song came to me like in full form when I was sitting in a steam room like five minutes and I actually left early so I could like write it all down but I saw it kind of as like almost like ZZ Top Manic Mechanic or a little bit of like you know Mark Lanigan or Queens of the Stone Age in my head you know kind of like this like desert murder opera that you can't control you know like somebody you know like having a relationship and them getting married you know 
I'm trying to just be like, ugh. The only thing I want to do is be able to like kill my bad thoughts. Did you marry your tour manager? I did. Well, that's cute. I know. It's weird. It's weird. I uh, he smells really good. He's the best smelling. He smells like forever. <laughs> he I does. Think. He does. He smells like forever, and he's very handy. Like right now, like. He's usually a tour manager for bands that make more money than me, so I rarely see him. Um, uh-huh. But now he's all mine again, and so we've been doing this live stream show, and he does all the sound, and he is a uh, very OCD, and it's 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 awesome. <laughs> Tell me how you decided to go down to Muscle Shoals to make Italian Ice. So my my record label's based there in Florence, and um, I you know got acquainted somewhat with Muscle Shoals through them. Um, They had a venue at the time. They don't have it anymore, but it was a venue that when I moved to Nashville, they booked me to play there a few times. And then they ended up uh, licensing Rhonda Lee from me, which was cool. And it's a small label. It's uh, John Paul White and uh, Ben from Alabama Shakes Touring Band. And uh, so Roxanne Oldham, who's Spooner Oldham's daughter, she was in Nashville and uh, we're friends. And um, I was, Binky from the Dap Kings, the guitar player, Binky Griptite, came to visit me because we're good friends. And uh, he was writing for his solo record and wanted some help. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, yeah, two days. It's my dad's 75th birthday. We're having a big show for him at, for a party at the Shoals Theater. And I was like, I want to go to that. And then the day before, she asked me to sing at it. So I ended up, like, singing at it, and it was, like, him and Dan Penn and um, the Blind Boys of Alabama, and, um, Mm. yeah, like, just, it was crazy. Donnie Fritz, and I just hit it off with all them, and uh, that's when I met Kelvin from Little Richard's band, and he's like, how'd you and your husband meet? And I was like, yeah, he smelled like forever, and he's like, that's a song. And we just, like, I didn't watch the documentary. Like, I knew all the records that were made there, but I didn't. Uh, I right. think it was good that I didn't because if I realized how deep, you know, like I didn't realize that David Hood was in Traffic's touring band, and Traffic is like my like gateway band. It's like the band that made me want to be in a band, and um, so I think if I knew that, it probably would have went a different way. I probably would have gotten shy. And after the show. Um, Reed from Single Lock was talking to Kelvin and he's like, we should make a record with Nicole. And so he pitched it to me. And um, I thought, you know, I'd love to make a record with like Spooner and David and Kelvin, but I also want to bring in, you know, my friends that I've been working with for the last 10 years. And I know that they'll all want to go to Muscle Shoals to record because they've never been. And uh, everybody was available and really wanted to do it. So it was I, I couldn't believe that everything worked out. Like, when it was like, okay, is Binky available? Yep. Is um, Britt Daniel, like, he's like, where are you making this? And I told him, and he's like, that's a dream. I'm like, you want to come? And he's like, sure. Like, it just made no sense to me that everybody was available. And, like, down, you know? So it was cool. And I think, like, it wasn't, I didn't put down, like, in my, like, notebook, like, I want to make a record with this person and this person. You know, like, it was just whoever was around in that month when we were planning to record, like, I was, it, it, they ended up on the record. So, 
that's kind of how records almost used to be made. You know, people would wander down the hall. Exactly. And be in each other's records. You know, those uh, records that uh, Dwayne Allman from the Allman Brothers would be on. You know, yeah. You know, Wilson Pickett's work. Totally. Like, well, we're all in the same studio. Or Yeah, like that's not? how Cher ended up on so many records. You know, or the Mamas and the Papas and... Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I like to make music. Like, I have a touring band, and I think that for the studio, it's all dependent on what city I'm in and who's around and, like, who vibes well with each other. I think that's why this new record, uh, Italian Ice, works so much for me, because it, it brings together this schizophrenic view of rock and roll as this multi-layered beautiful mosaic which it is yeah rock you know, and roll is very and blues and and musical theater and and you know you have it all sort of threaded in and not to blow smoke up your ass i think it's a masterpiece oh, of a thank record you. Thanks. like it is among the best records i've listened to in many years wow um, and speaking of brit daniel from spoon that song captain oh. is definitely something that feels like if Harry Nielsen was still around, he would be jamming to that. Awesome. Yeah, I wish he was still around. I mean, I almost I almost didn't put that song on the record because it was I wrote it last minute with uh, Carl from My Morning Jacket. When we were finishing writing another song, he was like, well, what else? I got like a half an hour and I had that melody in my phone and we like put it together in a half an hour. And I was just thinking, you know, like, Oh, well, it's just, you know, kind of basic. And then Moose, who played piano on it, Dave Sherman, he was like, this is a perfect song. And, like, he went all, like, geeky into it, like, harmonically and quarterly and blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And then Britt was like, man, I wish I could write a love song like that. And I was like, you know, sometimes I don't realize what things are until other people tell me that they're good, mm. you know? There, there's this teetering on the tightrope thing you know where you know I'll, I'll pull you on the deck I can be your captain for once but it also almost makes me doubt that the captain is really in charge and okay yeah <laughs> you know? yeah I mean this is just I mean it's basically my I mean my husband hates it when I talk about him but uh he's a shy guy but uh you know as a, a person that's a crew member like a tour man a tour manager they do so much work you know and I think that's it. People think, oh, yeah, I want to go out on the road and party with the band. I'll, I'll tour manage you. And it's like, no, that's, you know, like you have to be like a parent, a babysitter, uh, you know, an electrician, like just all these things, travel agent. And it takes a certain type of person to be a good one. And so sometimes, yeah. you know, like he never turns off. You know, I'll come home from tour and he'll cook me dinner. And I'm like, hey, man, relax. Play, you know, go play video games. Let me take care of you for a bit because you're yeah. gonna burn out. Sometimes it's hard to uh, let someone take care of you.
All right, so let's go back. You grow up in Jersey, and then you get out when? I get out when I was 17. I went to Charlotte, North Carolina for school for to study illustration at UNCC. Do you still draw? Yeah, a lot. I mean, I probably draw more than I ever have in my life. The last the last three years, I think it coincided with me quitting drinking. I took up took up the pen and um, started painting and illustration illustrating again. Listening to your new record, you can see how you've threaded in um, a much broader musical uh, palette than maybe some of your earlier records uh the song domino honestly has been my jam for weeks yeah and um nice you you got into that song partially through a charlotte gainsbourg tune yeah valentine right yeah i just it's not something that normally would go into like a soul rock song like this no but you could see the sort of almost like french new wave vibes lurking in the background yeah it's it's a it's a sexy jam like, but I, I didn't think it would fit on the record. But um, once we started playing it live, I realized like, oh, wait, it's like a disco song, but we we're making it sound very American. You know, like it sounds like, you know, Miss You or something. From the Stones, even though they're not American. <laughs> I wrote that if Donna Summer were jamming with Stevie Nicks in Asbury Park. Hell yeah. You'd have Domino. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I find it a bit blondy as well. Yes. There it is. You know, I just and and I thought about that too. Like I, I was thinking about like blondie records, like, you know, she had an island song, she had, you know, like disco songs, she had punk songs, like and you don't have to stick to one thing. You know, like it was, you know, more so what what is the song that you know came to me that I'm working on and what does it want to sound like and then I thought about like you know the Jersey Shore when, when I was a kid walking from my towel up to the boardwalk everybody had boom boxes and it was like li- you know the sounds you'd hear on your walk from your towel to the mm. boardwalk it was just there was so much variety it is funny how the bluetooth speakers becoming the new on the shoulder boombox yeah. Uh, except I, that it's like less charming. Yeah, it's better for your back and your neck probably, but it's yeah, it's not as cool looking. When you wrote the the lyric to Domino, the mm-hmm. you know, the tick tick tock time is up, was that aligning to any part of the time's up movement, or is it sort of a more of a subtle line? Well, reading? it kinda it happened at the same, like, it ha- I wrote that at the same time as, you know, Time's Up was happening, but, like, it just, the line fit, you know, like, time's running out. And then I was like, you know, it's a pretty common phrase. But then I thought about, like, everything that was happening, like, that day even, you know, it was like the Weinstein case was just, like, tumbling, like, person after person. Everything with Trump was happening, I mean like it does every day but I was just like all these people are fucking like all these bad people are falling you know like but then I thought about too like I didn't want it to be like here's my time's up song um so I thought about what's another spin on it was you know I I fell (laughs) I fell into a sinkhole 
three years ago, maybe almost four now. And um, it was like a 10-foot hole in the ground. And it kind of like, I, I, you know, I could have broken bones. I could have gotten paralyzed. I could have died, you know, but it was like a few centimeters from my tailbone. So I ended up with just a giant bump on my butt and like cuts in my head. But it was terrible. Like, and it was, you know, it was really um, painful for like six months, but it changed my, like, it changed my head so much. Like it made me not anxious, as anxious. Like I struggled with anxiety my whole life. Just being like, oh, you know, like, I have to do this. I don't want to do this. What does this person think? I don't want to talk to that person. Oh, like, and then after that, it was like, dude, you could die at any time in a hole in the ground. And it's not your choice. So, like, just fucking do what you want to do. You know, like, go talk to that person. Even, like, you know, like, Britt Daniel, huge fan. I want to write a song with him. Oh, I don't want to talk to him. You know, it's just like, fuck it. You want to write a song? You know, like, you can say no. But it just got rid of my anxiety. And so I was thinking, like, time's up for, like, you know, always, like, questioning everything you want to do. like in the 10 plus years that you've been putting out your own music that things have changed for the better for women artists or is there still so much bullshit to cut cut through i mean there's so much bullshit but um i mean we have it way better than tina turner did or ronnie specter like any of the you know the singers from the 60s and 70s and 80s probably 90s like it keeps getting better but it's still a bummer that it's you know like oh okay here's the festival all right we already filled up our three women spots you know or like when um you know I'll meet like a label head guy that will be at my show and be like oh man I love that set I wish I wish we signed you but we already had our acoustic female <laughs> you know and I'm like Jesus I'm not an acoustic female but I mean yeah or you know just that comparing you know the comparing thing like it's it's a bummer like to have you know like women in music night like there's no men in music night like just like let it be cool well it's 50 percent of the population i do i do find though that like now that i don't drink anymore like anytime that there's any like 
weird sleaziness with like, you know, usually like business dudes that can't hold their booze, it's really easy to get away. What was the moment where you made the decision that you had to step away from drinking? Um, I kind of made that decision in 2012, you know, but it didn't really stick until 2017, you know? So I like kind of tried every which way to like quit, but you know, okay, like I'll only drink wine. I'll only do this. I'll only do this, you know, but I come from like a long line of alcoholics that, you know, functional alcoholics, some more Uh so than others, but it got down to when, you know, I was in the studio with um, my friend Jim Sclavunos. We have a duets project that we do. And I just, like, was, like, drinking in secret the whole time and, like, not feeling it when, mm-hmm. like, it's, like, some of my favorite music that I've ever written with, like, one of my really, really close friends. And I'm, like, I don't feel anything, you know? And so I just got sick of feeling nothing. So I decided to quit and you know, like relapsed several times. We moved, you know, it's hard, like being newly sober in a new city. And, you know, JD and Ryan were out on tour for like, you know, a long time. So, and then I fell in the sinkhole and then it was like, huh, I should just do it. (laughs) You know, I think you need a sinkhole as a sign from the heavens. Yeah. I think that too, like the um, desire to want to stop has to really be like all of it. You know, it can't be like, I know that I'd probably be happier if I quit, but I still want to drink, you know? And um, once, you know, once I got the hang of it, though, like, after, like, two months, I was able to, like, be at gigs and be at bars. And I was like, wait, I still like bars. It's like you cataloged a lot of the strangest tour happenings and the haze that you get in um, going town to town and, you know, your own self-medication and exhaustion yeah. in that in that song never going home again which is just <laughs> like every band needs one of those tour songs and this is like all of them in one song somehow. totally yeah and i and i wrote this one with jim sclavunos and i i had like a lot of my own tour stories and then he was like did i ever tell you about the time i saw an artemis uh spaceship when i was with tab falco in Denton and he like described it so like in detail that I was like he's not lying <laughs> like yeah. I was like give me some more you know but the I, and I think that is the cool thing about you know not drinking on tour now is like I remember all of it you know and yeah. like even like when it's like a shitty night and like I'm just like so worn out like and the crying is like painful like that's okay you know, but then there's nights where it's like I walked around Madrid till 5 a.m. just talking to somebody. You know, like, I'm so glad, like, I'm like I'm there for it. Did you actually wake up in a Hello Kitty bed in Youngstown, yes, Ohio? Yes, I did. I did on my way to uh, my old manager's wedding. with. Uh, so I was with her um, assistant and his girlfriend. We had to stop in Youngstown, Ohio and uh, for to sleep on our way to Dayton. And uh, there was a band that I loved that I was friends with called Gil Mantera's Party Dream. And it was their album release show. And I was like, we should go. And then they had a party after. And, like, you know, I got drunk and needed a place to sleep. So the guys let me sleep in um, his daughter's bed. (laughs) That was a Hello Kitty bed. (laughs) Because she wasn't, she was with her mom for the weekend. And I just remember waking up, like, in a ball in this tiny little bed. Like, oh, God. 
Besides watching Hallmark Christmas movies with your mom, what is the thing that's getting you through these many months off the road? Um, doing doing my live stream show. You know, we do one every Wednesday, and it's like it's like a full on like production. It's a variety show. It's kind of like Pee Wee's Playhouse meets like early MTV, like Julie Brown the comedian, not downtown Julie Brown. But you know, I have three guests on, and I interview them, and they send videos. And this week, um, John Gallagher Jr. is one of the guests, and he's coming live to sit in with us. And he was uh, he was in the newsroom, but he was also on Broadway. And so I'm like, oh my God, this rules, you know, get to sing with a real Broadway singer. What are we going to do? Um, so, you know, just like crafting the outfits and the lights and the jokes and it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's really fun. Are you doing it from your parents' garage? Uh, we were going to do it from my sister, thank you, from my sister's fiance's backyard um, he bought his frat house. <laughs> and, uh, wow. Yeah. Um, so it, he has a pretty interesting tiki bar pool situation, but the weather's just been so crazy that uh, 
there's a restaurant in Asbury Park called Langosta Lounge that is like a, they're one of like the first restaurants on the boardwalk when Asbury kind of made its comeback. And um, their dining room has been closed since March. So they let us use it. And if folks want to find this, it's called Alone We're All Together. It's actually, now it's called Live from the Steel Porch. Yeah. So Alone We're All Together was me in my attic in Nashville. And um, now it's Live from the Steel Porch. And it's on every Wednesday at 7 Eastern. It's on Amazon Music's Twitch page. And then it re-airs on my Twitch page on Saturdays at 7. Is there something that you wish you could tell yourself when you started playing bars and restaurants as a young person as your more wise songwriter, yeah. performer now? Um, I think it would just be like believe in yourself more. What you're doing is cool. <laughs> you know, I always thought, you know, it wasn't really cool to, to, to dig what you're doing. You know, I don't know why. Maybe that was like growing up in the 90s. It wasn't like cool to be happy or like like yourself or enjoy what you're doing. You know, it was always like that, you know, I need to suffer kind of thing. Yeah. Or like, you know even thinking like when my band got signed thinking like I don't deserve this you know Mm. and it's like now like where I'm at like I've been into rock music and I believe in it and I don't think it's dead but I've been into rock and roll since I was three years old you know when I first saw Tommy from the who on tv like I remember it when I was three and um yeah I think that like rock music is something that's never going away you know even if it's not the the thing that's popular on the radio but I mean I don't really dig what's popular on the radio but I think it's a timeless thing that like needs to be carried through and you know I'm one of the people to do it and I just you know I wish I was a little bit you know kinder to myself you know and and um, positive about things because I feel pretty positive now even though things are so crazy I'm just like really grateful to be able to to make things that I dream about or hear in my head or to play music with people that, you know, have played on some of my favorite records and talk to them and ask them, like, how did you come up with that? You know, like, that makes me feel like the luckiest person in the world. Your 2017 record, uh, Goodnight Rhonda Lee, has a song called Listen Up that feels like almost mm-hmm. like you now talking back through time to yeah. your crazy self in high school who's just trying things out and doesn't have the confidence, you know, and it's, yeah. you're going to make mistakes, but you kind of wish you knew better. I think you know? I was even talking to myself that day, you know, as I was like sneaking beers in the studio. <laughs> like, But yeah, I think, I think most of my songs and I think a lot of people's songs are notes to self. Especially when you're alone writing them.
good app called Flow State that I have on my phone. That yeah, you should you should check this out. It times you. You could do one minute, five minutes, fifteen minutes, but as soon as you stop to think too much, it erases everything. Oh shit. Yeah, which can be amazing and heartbreaking. Snapchat diary. Mm-hmm. But if you can make it to the end of the time limit, it saves everything. Good. This is a, a segue where we go into the final creative exercise of the podcast. Awesome. I can't wait to listen to this podcast. We uh, we try to get somewhat weird. On yeah, the, no, on you're these. nice to talk to. It's like it's like the real shit. So when I went to playwriting uh, classes, there was this exercise called the Bake Off mm-hmm. that uh, Paula Vogel at Yale and a lot of folks would use where you'd have the class all begin their play with the same line. Okay. And then you could see how people's brains diverged in front of you. Yeah, it's like improv, kind of. Yeah. So, the one minute... Sorry, my parents... That is an an old school phone. Yeah, I'm in the garage and they still have a landline, so we should just wait till it passes... I think it's got a that sounds like rings. the rotary phone in our basement in Chicago. It is a ro- it, it's a rotary phone. <laughs> is it bright green? No, it's black. I wish <laughs> it was bright green. There's a rotary phone in our basement that still rings like like someone's calling from 1950 into your basement. Yeah, it's like, "Hello. Yes, it's the ghost that lives in your attic. Just seeing if you're still alive." The fir- the first line, so the first line that we're both going to write, uh, mm-hmm. you could you could probably just write it on your phone. Or unless you have a pen and paper, which you may not have. Okay. The first line that we're going to use today is, the crow landed on her shoulder. Okay. You going to go first? The crow landed on her shoulder. Um, We're going to do it at the same time. I'm going to put, I'm going to put two minutes on the clock. One minute is like, you can't do anything in one minute. Sure you can. Two minutes is a lot. Okay. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> and we're going to see what comes out of our brains. Okay. And we're both going to talk at the same time? No, no. We're or do we write trade line for line? No, no. We're going to write it down, and then we're going to read oh, it Oh, okay. Like, like it's a short story or a poem or something. Or a song. Fun. Okay, hold on it's one gonna second. Be, it's going to be great. There I was. Okay. Okay, you you ready? Okay. The crow landed on her shoulder and go. The hall of the mountain king. I stood high on a mountain top. Naked to the world. In front of every kind of girl. There was long ones, tall ones, short ones, brown ones. got weird yeah it did okay uh, I'm gonna read my end of the story the crow landed on her shoulder it wasn't the first time that Luigi had found her here in the dark she ran out of this part of the woods whenever her stepfather crept into her bed at night 
She thought about bringing Luigi back home with her, using him as a protector. But sometimes she didn't know if the crow was real or just the perfect flying black savior she wished she had. His talons didn't hurt her at all. And to her surprise, his crow wings felt like they always brushed her face reassuringly, like a lover who would always wait for her and lift her up when she was blue. Okay, mine's stupid. (laughs) All right. The crow landed on her shoulder, so she knew it was time to give it up. He'd been following her for the last mile or so. At first, she thought he wanted the magnum bar she was eating, but was unwilling to part with, so she stared him down till she finished the cold treat. But now here he was, eye to eye, and when she looked at him, really looked at him, she knew it was Dominic. Ooh. That's <laughs> Who's Dominic? Dominic is my mom's little brother that passed away. And my mom always thinks that uh, members of our family or people from her life, um, that they are birds that hang out at our house. Wow. Yeah. Her... Um, first husband died when she was 19 and like there's a dove that always hangs out that she thinks is Dennis and there's a dove um that she she knows is my grandma and uh it's it's neat you know and it's it's weird because it's like Dominic um he died he was 13 and I was two so he was born like a lot later than my mom and uh just kind of like I feel like his spirit has kind of like influenced almost all of the work I did or and keep doing. He was the only person in my family to play music. So like I learned guitar by finding his guitar in the attic. And, um, you know, I always think about like what it would have been like growing up if he, you know, never died, you know, like, so I always, you know, he just finds his way into my work a lot. And um, I just remember even when I first started playing music, um, how into it my family was. And, like, I just remember thinking, like, man, if I could do something, like, extraordinary with this, it'll make my family feel something, like, other than sadness, you know, like something. And I remember being on Letterman for the first time and being, like, okay, not, like, you know, just thinking about my grandparents, like, something crazy that, like, you know, doesn't really happen to people in Neptune City, you know, just for them to see something really cool like that um, would help them feel happier. Is there someone that made you most starstruck when you met them? Um, I think when I first hung out with Bruce, I was, like, I was, I was never a huge Springsteen fan, and I think I kind of, like, pushed it off because I started playing music or so early that I didn't, and also growing up in a place where everybody was in a Bruce Springsteen cover band or trying to be the next Bruce Springsteen, like, I purposefully didn't listen to his records. And um, then I saw him play uh, for the first time when Neptune City was out, or it just finished recording it, and I was just so blown away by the show. I was like, wow. And then he was at my friend's bar, and my friend was like, hey, Bruce wants to meet you can you get here? And I was like, it was like 4.30 in the afternoon. And I was like, cool. And I remember walking up the stairs and as soon as I saw him, my heart just started beating really hard. And he had like a shot of tequila and he's like, there she is. Hey, cheers. Congrats on your record. And I went to cheers him and my hand just started shaking involuntarily. (laughs) 
But then I like hung out with him for like two hours and just talked about music. And he like goes into record shops and says like, you know, who should I listen to? You know, I was starstruck at first. And then at the end of it, like, you know, you just felt like, you know, normal guy. That's really cool. Um, I met Robert Plant this year. And uh, he came to a benefit show that I was singing at. And I was like, he's like my Buddha. Like, he's my dude. And um, But as soon as I started to talk to him, it just felt so normal. You know, like he just, I feel like I have an easier time talking to Robert Plant than I do, like, you know, my sister's friend that she works with at her college. Because we have, he likes the stuff that I like. It is cool when you, can meet a hero who feels like a kindred spirit. Yeah, yeah. Um, this year, uh, right before lockdown, I, I've kind of become um, pandemic pen pals with Elvis Costello. And uh, it's just so cool talking to him because he's so down to earth. And he like sent me like a 15-paragraph review of my record that was just so thoughtful. And I was just like, wow. Like, I wish I could just put this on the internet and just be like, fuck all y'all. <laughs> but... You know, yeah. I can't. I'll just have it for myself. But, you know, he. you think about these people that are, like, musical heroes, but they're all just people like you, you know? Yeah. They're just musicians, people that love music. You know, and I've met a lot of people, too, that I wish I didn't meet. But, like, for the most part, all the all the musicians that I've met have been, you know, like, I thought, touring with Nick Cave in the bad seats. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be scary. And then like, you know, Nick Cave is like, you want a smoothie? He's making me a fucking smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is yeah. weird. Yeah, we, um, my band Dust Bowl Revival did this tour last year where we did the 50th anniversary of the band and played. Awesome. Some band tunes and some of our tunes that are inspired by them and, um, did these performing arts centers and um it was a really awesome experience but the best part was that um Robbie Robertson's son found out I guess mm-hmm. and um just out of the blue had his dad send us a signed big pink oh wow vinyl that's amazing and um you know Robbie Robertson does not have the reputation of being a a, ni- nice, a dude. nice dude yeah and even his son was basically like, this is kind of a big thing that he did this. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're playing in Malibu at the Performing Arts Center, Pepperdine. I think that's right near you guys. Maybe would you bring him to the show and we could like shout him out? And he sort of like sent an email saying, let's just leave it here. Yeah. Because um, I'm his son and believe me, you probably don't actually want to meet him <laughs> in person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's smart. Like, like, like this was a nice thing that happened and uh, I think we should come out on top. Yeah. I've been lucky to talk to folks, you know, on this show who normally I would not maybe have the courage to go up to. And, um, because it is sort of like music journalism, they'll actually tell you, their secrets. Yeah. You know, um, I was able to interview Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics. Oh my God. I love the Eurythmics. And, you know, 10, 15 minutes into the episode, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, well, 
it would be tacky if I asked him about Sweet Dreams, which is one of my all-time favorite songs. Yeah. And he just sort of like told, told me step by step how it was created. Ooh, I want to know that. Is that on is that up to listen to? Yeah. Hell yeah. But he was so giving and so generous with his time. Mm-hmm. Uh I actually didn't have to say almost anything. <laughs> like he's just like a he's just a music nerd. Totally. Like he was just like, yeah, he was geeking out about it now. Yeah. Like, well, it was a sequencer that was the size of an entire room and me and Annie Lennox were in there and she was on the floor and it just sort of happened and then we're like, this is it. This is it, you know. Yeah. That's I mean, that's so cool. When we made Ronda Lee, like or not Ronda Lee, um Italian Ice at uh, Muscle Shoals Sound, like in between takes it was just Spooner and David Hood telling us all these incredible stories, but it's just like their life. They're not like trying to impress or like name dropping. It's just like that's their life, you know. And they're telling us all these stories about like Janis Joplin and Hoagie Carmichael and Mavis, and I'm just like whoa, <laughs> it was such a treat. Well, it has been a treat uh, falling into the wormholes of your albums. Yeah, and, it was a treat um, talking to you. I hope that whenever this pandemic pandemonium lifts that um, we could play a festival sometime oh, together. Oh, God, I hope somewhere. so. Yeah, and if we do, let me sing with you guys. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, I think the last time we did a festival together, where was that? It was like... Didn't we do a festival that was like with a natural like rock phenomenon, like a like a mountain type of play? Oh, oh yeah, uh, R- Red Wing Roots. Red, yeah, it's so hard to say. Red Wing Roots, and I remember in Mount Salon. Yeah, and I remember like we're not a bluegrass band, and I was like, man, people hate us. <laughs> I was like, I wish I was singing a song with those guys. Well, we're always the band that kept getting booked at folk festivals and bluegrass festivals because we had the name a fiddle player yeah or uh we had a mandolin player for years or um i don't know because i wore a large hat i don't know like (laughs) what the main reason was but once we were in those were the people that paid attention to us and it felt weird because i grew up in chicago playing more blues rock and roll yeah. with a folky backdrop with harmonies mm-hmm. but never felt any affinity towards southern yeah southern roots bluegrass music. music even though i do love that music a lot yeah um it's not who i am at all yeah it's not something know? like i really listen to and like on the reg you know but yeah. but it is something i enjoy at the right time but you could be interpreted as a modern, bizarro country singer, like Linda Ronstadt, in a way. I think I have a very country-sounding voice, you know, like in a the way that, like, my phrasing is sometimes. But I think my, you know, my music is very um, classic rock AM dial. Yeah, well, that's the type of music that needs to be made now. Like, there needs to be a new classic rock. Yeah. And that's what I think our job is to make. Totally. You know, because it's funny when they say, like, modern rock at the Jersey Shore, and it's a Pearl Jam song from the 90s. And it's <laughs> like, wait, what happened to the 30 years between this? 
normally we would end an episode with you playing an acoustic song of some sort, which I don't think we can probably do, right? Um, no, I don't have my guitar with me, actually. It is at the so studio. So can you introduce us, can you intro a song that you love that maybe people aren't listening to as much yeah. from work? Yeah, I think, and since it's the end of the episode, um, let's let's end the episode with the closer. Um, the song In the Splinters, off of Italian Ice. Um, cool. This is one of those songs that I had the melody forever, for 10 years, and it was one of those songs that kind of haunted me. And um, I met Hamilton Lighthouser. Um, I was singing with him at his residency at Cafe Carlisle. And just his voice, I, whenever I sang this song in my head, I thought it sounded too Broadway, but then I pictured his voice singing it, and I was like, no, 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 right. okay, that can work as a rock song. And um, so we co-wrote this, and he came up with the first line, I stand, I'll slant it now, a statue on one leg. And then I was like, whoa, that reminds me of Hurricane Sandy. And so it's a song about everything changes and you can get destroyed physically or in a relationship or career-wise, but you know, somebody or something will come around and help pick you up and you'll keep standing. You know, you might be changed, but you'll still be there. And uh, then it turned into the end of the night, I don't want to go home, la-di-da, you know, hoist your beer up, sing-along song. So...
Ooh, there she goes now, Nicole Atkins, everybody. You can go to NicoleAtkins.com for her music. Her newest record, which I keep shouting to the rooftops, is called Italian Ice, recorded at Muscle Shoals in Alabama. It is tasty. It is delicious. Please stop what you're doing and put it on your stereo right now. And you know what? Every Wednesday, she has this really cool live streaming show, which she mentioned, called Live from the Steel Porch. It's on Amazon Music's Twitch page. Yes, all the cool kids are on Twitch, I'm told. And this week, she will be featuring Whitney and His Golden Messenger. Really cool guests every week on that show, so check it out. If you go to the bluegrasssituation.com right now, you'll see that back in 2017, there was a really cool article called Nicole Atkins and the Last Call Lullaby about her record, Goodnight Rhonda Lee. It's a great article. Check it out. If you want to be an amigo and support the other podcasts on the BGS Podcast Network, guess what? There was a brand new one called Harmonics with Beth Bears, the star of Two Broke Girls. You can check it out. The first two episodes are airing now. I know it's been a little quiet in Dust Bowl Revival Land. My lovely band is uh, separated because of the pandemic, but we are working behind the scenes to put together another Suede Home Fest. The fourth lineup is coming together. If you have a band that you love, you think should be on the festival, send us an email, dustbowlrevival at gmail.com, and you can donate to the band to keep us going at Dust Bowl Revival on Venmo, or get a vinyl, get a t-shirt, support the bands you love while they're out of work. And I know it's a little tacky, but I'm going to put it out there. If you would like to support this podcast, if you are a sponsor, if you have a company that gives back, you know what? Send me an email, showontheroadpod at gmail, and you can go to my PayPal, znlupatin at gmail, and send a donation right now. Every week I do this because I love music, and I love sharing the music that I love. If you want to be a friend of the show, you can go on our iTunes page, Show on the Road podcast, and let us know how you feel. Leave us a review. If you're my mom, don't do that. She's already very supportive. I need people out there to tell us that we're doing okay. And if you go to our website, theshowontheroad.com, you can see all our previous episodes, 73 strong. Like last week, we had Chicano Batman, Tropical Soul from L.A., or we had Bella Fleck, or we had Dar Williams. So many great people featured throughout the years, and every Wednesday, we will bring you more. The Show on the Road is now written, hosted, and edited by me, Zach Lupiton, and it is part of the BGS Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the trail. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 